This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch-up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi o tangata o Manawatu. It is a Thursday morning and that means we are turning our attention to Manawatu District Council. And as per usual, we have on the phone Mayor Helen Warboys. Good morning to you. Good morning, Fraser. Good to hear from you again. Ah, yes, and you. Um, as as the schedule goes, it's been a couple of weeks, but uh, plenty can happen in fourteen days. And actually, yesterday was a good example of that. Um, we're all aware of the anti-mandate protests down in Wellington and, and people's general displeasure with some of the restrictions. Uh, and I'm not going to say that it was in response to those actions, but uh, perhaps uh, in response to the science, uh, the Prime Minister announced yesterday um, quite a serious relaxing of the rules, um, as opposed to a move to orange, which I thought was quite interesting. We're still we're still in the red traffic light setting. Um, but yes, a, a lot of the, the restrictions are being removed. The My Vaccine Pass isn't going to be uh, obligatory anymore, um, so people won't have to sign into places as well. Uh, is this good news in terms of council facilities or, or worrying news for our more vulnerable people in, in our community? I think it's good news all round. Um, our council had already, prior to the government's announcement um, earlier this week, we had reviewed our uh, my vaccine passes requirements that we had both at the pool and the library, and uh, and this was we redid the risk analysis around what does that mean. And with Omicron, the situation's a little bit different, and uh, so we've. We have made the decision to withdraw those My Vaccine Pass requirements at the pool in the library as of next Monday. So as of opening time, 6am for the pool, they will no longer be required. And then I see the government has now saying that they are removing those mandates uh, the following week. So it's good news, although you know I, it is disturbing to see the numbers in the uh, our now DHB region they're still looking worrying and still climbing, so um, it's not over yet. No, it's not, and uh, I mean that—that's—that's that's what I was uh, leading to with my question. I mean, the, for example, the library arguably uh, used more by more vulnerable people when it comes to coronavirus. Uh, the elderly or, or people with uh, disabilities or people needing access to stuff that they don't have at home, and we're removing a layer of protection for them. Well, absolutely. Look, you know, we've had a very small minority of people who were opposed to having those uh, requirements in place. They've made their point. You know, our email inbox has been flooded with them. But on the other hand, there's just as many people who who will be concerned about this decision because we know that we've seen increases in usage at the pool in the library from people, uh, our seniors and more vulnerable people and even from, from the city came over to us in those early days um, when the city didn't have those restrictions. So there will be some concern out there, and we may also see different people in those facilities when others say, well, maybe I should just stay home for a while and be safe. But particularly the library, 
you can do all of those services online. So, or pick up the phone because so you know there's no need for anyone to feel that um, that they're out of touch by not being able to use the library. But they will. Uh, some people will be deciding to stay at home longer and and deal with the isolation longer uh, as their only means of protection left, whereas otherwise they could come to the library with a degree of of certainty that, you know, at the very least uh, people were vaccinated that went in there and that they could be tracked and traced uh, having scanned. But that won't won't be happening now. That's correct. And then the following week, you know, the government's lifted that as well. So yes, and I I see that will impact those people just have, have already been impacting, um, you know, I've noticed talking to seniors around town, they're saying that a lot of their friends and coffee mates uh, are sitting at home because they don't want to come out. So that's likely to continue. And, and that is my concern going forward, is the mental well-being of, of many people, not just our seniors and, vul- and the vulnerable, but our young people. This is really hard for young people to comprehend. You know, we're all walking around with masks and and um, scanning, et cetera, and staying distance from our friends and no hugs, et cetera. So that's, that's really challenging for our young people. And our council, we will be encouraging lots of reconnection activities, events, um, you know, once we've, once we've got the all clear. And council, you know, is, e- is even looking to say that if some of our community committees have activities that reconnect, we would look to help fund those. With regards to, to mental health, I mean, I remember in the first lockdown, uh, Manawatu District Council were very proactive uh, in helping our more vulnerable and, sort of, you know, delivering groceries and prescriptions and that sort of thing. Uh, MSD took on uh, a fair amount of that work in the second lockdown with, with mixed responses from people. But this is, a, this is a different situation, not moving to another lockdown, but moving to a different way of life where the, the risks are greater uh, for these people, and you've you've acknowledged the potential for a, a mental health, not crisis, but certainly an escalation in, in some of those symptoms. Is MDC going to be working with the likes of Manchester House and, and, and other groups to sort of monitor monitor that and care for people? Yeah, absolutely. We've continued our welfare forum right through uh, the whole COVID uh, pandemic, and we've got another meeting coming up. So we we all zoom in, all of our social service agencies, including uh, the MSC and the police, etc. And it's really an opportunity for each agency to update us on what's happening in their space. What are the issues? What are the things we should be looking out for? But more importantly, how can we support and help each other? And these have been really useful. And like you say, in that first lockdown, they were absolutely critical to keep our community connected and we've chosen to keep that going, even though MSD has, uh, did take over the coordination of that work. But, you know, I was just talking to Manchester House this week, and initially in this, um, when these mandates came out, there was very few requests for food parcels. But they're starting to see that increasing now, something like anything from 19 to, to 30-plus uh, requests for food parcels a week. And um, so that is of concern. But the good news is our team at Manchester House can still deliver those. And so at least you've got someone knocking on the door and saying, hi, are you okay? And I think that's important.
Definitely. Uh, we are here with Mayor Helen Warboys on the Catch Up on Man with Two People's Radio. If you'd like to listen to this or previous editions of the Catch Up series, just head to the website, npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch up. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your online listening. Uh, moving to a fairly contentious issue, uh, Mayor Helen, this was the bio plant, the pyrolysis plant uh, that is seeking consent uh, to set up in fielding, uh, sparking the creation of Fielding Against Incineration, I think is the the, the group name. Um, And so this was opened up for, this is opening up for public submission now. Um, I understand MDC have have a support letter. Um, Yes, well it was, as as listeners will know, it is a project that uh, Bioplant came to council asking if we would be interested in leasing a piece of land down at our resource recovery plant uh, centre for them to construct a um, pyrolysis plant. And so our, our, our proviso has always been subject to them getting a consent, plus the other um, logistics need to be sorted out as well. So it was up to Bioplant to apply to the regional council for a consent to build that plant. And uh, as you know, Horizons have made that consent publicly notified. So it's an opportunity for the public to have a say. And um, yes, there's been um, a bit of noise in our community from people who are concerned about if that uh, pyrolysis plant goes ahead. Now, I sat in a couple of uh, Zoom meetings that were held recently, one by Bioplant and the other one by the Fielding Against Incineration Group. And I was there very open-minded because I, I don't have a... Um, I haven't decided either way whether this is good or not because um, I'm not a scientist. You know, but I listened to some of the scientists that spoke and, and it does seem to be divided about whether this stacks up or not. But from a council point of view, we, we cannot keep putting our waste into landfill. The, the cost to do that, the, the level of emissions that, to air discharge that come out of landfills is not good and we need to find smarter ways to do that. And so the bioplant opportunity came along for us to go, okay, so if what you tell us stacks up through the consent process, then we need to seriously look at that because if we have lower emissions than landfill currently, if we have significant savings for our community uh, and, and, you know, and those savings could then go back into how we minimise waste from our ratepayers, and it, and, it, and it shows that it is a less harmful solution for the environment, then it is something that we should definitely look at. And I know that the argument is we should be aiming for zero waste, and that is a really good long-term goal, but it's not something that we're going to get to in the next few years. So in the meantime, our council is really keen to find something that is better than what we currently do. And the other alarming thing is that the, the data that's been collected shows that the waste that we've had going into landfill over the last six years has doubled. So we need to find better ways through education, uh, recycling, uh, etc. And we're trying. We're going to be doing that through our waste minimisation plan that will go out to the community soon for uh, for comments. So you know we have to take some bold moves to be smarter about what we do with waste. Very good. Uh, I guess the, the the main question then is 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 the pyrolysis plant going to be 
uh, albeit maybe marginally, better for the environment uh, than currently. And 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 you say there's sort of the the science is divided. It, it seems. Seems rather a simple question that would have a, a simple answer. If you burn the rubbish, it's not going to take up much room in landfill, but the the air uh, discharge is a problem. What, do you get a feeling of what the answer to that question is? Well, I think um, there were several things that came out of those meetings that I sat in and listened. The scientists in the bio plants um, meeting showed us. Uh, well, first of all, they explained what pyrolysis is. It's it's not incineration. They um, they they get rid of the the waste without oxygen. So when you incinerate something, it has oxygen. But pyrolysis has a different system, and it doesn't use oxygen. And the 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 figures that they showed us that night showed us what the international standard was for emissions to the air. Uh, it showed us what landfill currently does, and it showed us what a pyrolysis plant would do. And, and if you believe that science, and that's what the consent process will test, you'll have other experts looking at their evidence and and deciding whether that is correct or not. Um, and if you if you if they do accept the science that they showed us, then yes, it would make a significant difference to what goes into the air. Well, I guess we we watch with interest. When when do submissions oh, are they open now? And and if so, when do they close? Uh, that's a good question. My understanding is, um, yes, they are open, so people can um, make those submissions. Council voted. It wasn't unanimous, but we did vote to write a support letter to the consent process. And uh, so that letter is not... Oh, actually, that's right. The submissions need to be in by the 31st of March because we had to consider it as a late item because we don't have a council meeting before that closes. So 31st of March, not far away, is the opportunity. So all the information, all the data, etc., is on the Horizons Regional Council website. So I just encourage people to go there and have a look. Are you worried at all that, you know, this could be not hijacked, but people that haven't read the science and haven't done the research, but just have a sort of reflex action to burning rubbish, that's bad. Uh, if, if those uh, people uh, sort of... Ha- get into the submission process and wait too far the other way? Are you worried that this might be a missed opportunity? Well, I, I'm, I'm prepared to trust the consent process because the consent process looks at facts. They take the information that BioPlant will have submitted um, and they test that with their expertise um, around the consenting process. And so it comes down to that. But yes, there, are, there, are, there will be people who don't want it in their backyard and we're hearing that already. You know, um, they don't want it in their backyard, so they're against it. But the reality is it has to go somewhere. You know, anything that we do in waste minimisation has to have a home somewhere. So, it will, it, it, you know, people perceive that that will have a direct impact on them. So that, that's why this process is open, it's notified, publicly notified, so that anyone can have a say. But, you know, like I said, I'm not a scientist, I'm open-minded, I'm prepared to trust the consent process to come out the other end and say, we've looked at the information and it is or it isn't um, the right thing to do. So uh, we're going to trust that process. 
Very good. We're here with Mayor Helen Warboys on our fortnightly catch-up looking at Manawatu District Council. We've uh, looked at the uh, relax relaxation of the COVID mandates and also the bioplant pyrolysis uh, application for consent. Uh, as Mayor Helen says, the submissions to Horizons Regional Council on that matter close on the 31st of March. Uh, moving to the quarterly economic report, uh, Helen, I, I would urge our listeners to resist that yawn. It does sound boring, but there are some key highlights in there. Absolutely. Look, actually, we get excited at Council. Stacey, our economic advisor, she makes these kind of stats a lot of fun. Uh, The way she presents it um, is really good. But it is. It's a good news story, again, for the Manawatu District, but also for the region. And, you know, I'm not going to bore listeners with all the, the actual specific stats, but some of those highlights that are impressive is, you know, our GDP increased 92 so the net value to our economy has increased over the last year 9.2%. So when you consider what's going on, um, you know that's that's another pleasing result. And and the key reason for that is dairy and red meat. You know those exports have um, been going up and up, and so the return on that back to our community uh, keeps our economy going. So you know they're very important. But some of the more interesting stats is um, our school role. We keep hearing that our population is getting older, but the, the the last stats in the past year show that our school rolls in the Manawatu district went up 2.7%, so that we now have over 5,000 school-aged children living in the uh, attending school in the Manawatu district. So, you know, that, that's really good to know that um, families are moving here and we do have young people coming up through the ranks. The, uh, the number of residents in employment, that was up 2.6%, so that has to be good news. Our unemployment rate's at 2.1%, nationally that's 3.5%, so we're still under the, the national average. We had 257 new homes built last year. Uh, our visitor numbers are up, our retail spend's up. The number of registered new registered cars last year, 1,052 up. And, of course, the commercial investments, the consents that uh, council managers, they were worth $85.4 million this last year, and most of that was credited to the work out at Ohakia. But having said all that positive, there's, there's still some challenges for us. You know, the medium rental price is $480 per week for a home, uh, and that's tough for people on low incomes. And we've got 118 families on the waiting list for housing and then, you know, more recently with COVID, we've seen diesel and petrol um, prices go up, um, predominantly r- around the Ukraine situation. But, you know, labour shortages, supply constraints, rising costs, um, interest rates rising, they all affect our economy. So good news on one hand, uh, but on the other, you know, there's still some challenges that we have to look at. I'm assuming this was the quarter, October to December last year? Well, the, those percentages were year to date um most of the they were the ones that i've talked about today mm. were year to date to january okay fair enough um because um yeah t- talking uh you know there is a lot of good news in there do you expect the next quarter report to be a bit tougher i mean you were saying you know exports were up i, I don't know how much of of those exports were going to the likes of russia which is now experiencing sanctions but would you see any impact on the exports and and of course as you say the petrol and, and diesel prices and, and rental costs, families are going to be hurting this next quarter. Absolutely. Um, 
the, the world is still demanding our product. You know, the milk price has gone up further, so, you know, our dairy farmers will be happy about that. So I just think our region is well, we're well primed because um, that's where our strength is in food production. So, and the world needs our food, even if we, you know, we um, discount Russia and some of what's going on there. So I think we can still hold our own compared to, you know, you look at many other regions around New Zealand who uh, perhaps tourism, you know, they rely on tourism for their economy. You know, they've been really hit. So, you know, while we're seeing more visitors, which is great, it's still our food production that keeps us alive. Uh, speaking of that, I mean, you've referenced there that sort of the, the, there's one main industry in the district that's providing a lot of that economic uh, growth, and, and in some cases, in the past year or so, stability for everyone. Uh, is there a is MDC aware of the need to maybe diversify that a bit and maybe bring in some different industries to the area? Oh, that's that's a challenge we're always looking at, and you know, through Cedar and the factory and. Sprout and some of those other regional organisations always looking at inward investment, new technology, you know, the Rural Innovation Hub, you know, some of that, um, you know, you can't rely on what we've done for the, for the last, you know, several hundred years. We do need to keep diversifying and also, you know, as people's eating habits change and some of the science around that, our farming community also need to change, but I believe they are. And, um, you know, we have some pretty switched on um, primary industry businesses around our region and around the country. So, you know, we are keeping up with it. Um, but it is, we need to be open to look at new ways of doing things. Now, uh, people may or may not be aware that before these interviews, uh, your uh, assistant Trina sends me a list of things that we might want to talk about. It's it's not prescriptive. I'm allowed to ask you pretty much whatever I like, <laughs> it, it seems to be. Um, but I didn't get a chance to Google this one. You want to talk about Poppy Places Trust. I've no idea what that is. Tell me. <laughs> well, there you go. We can uh, enlighten you as well as our listeners. Uh, Poppy Places Trust, this is a, a national organisation and in, in Palmerston North City is is well on to this. Um, it's, it's where we recognise our fallen soldiers um, with any of the street names that we have around our district. And the city certainly got them. As you drive around, you will see street names. and The, the street blade has a red poppy on the end of it. I have and seen that, those, yes. That, so what that means is that that street name reflects that the name is either the name of a soldier or related to um, one of our fallen soldiers. And, you know, um, I think it's a great way to, for, for us to remember our history, for young people to ask questions like, what is that poppy there for? And it is something that our council has been uh, going to look at for some time, but we finally got the presentation to council and uh, Steve Parsons is on the Poppy Places Trust from the city. He came over and uh, talked about what it is and encouraged Manawatu District Council to adopt this project. They've identified five street names already that would fit the criteria. So we need to apply to the National Poppies Trust, Places Trust, and get their approval. And then those street name blades can be changed so that they have a poppy on the end of them. But the bit that I'm excited about is where we go next. And I, this is a really good opportunity to open it up to the community and say, you come back and tell us the history 
the significance around some of the street names, memorials, places of interest that we have in the Manawatu district that you believe may qualify to have a poppy as a symbol on them. So, um, you know, I just think that's a really good opportunity, great project for our school children to do, um, but also just creating awareness and remembering our history. And I think this is a really good one that uh, Manawatu District Council is keen to be involved in. It does sound like a great idea. Um, do, is, would Manawatu District Council be in charge of replacing those uh, street blades? Because, you know, at, at the risk of sounding petty, there would be a cost associated with swapping those out. And I'm sure it's not a great one in the grand scheme of things, but it's worth to be aware of. Well, absolutely. And that's what we are. We understand that to replace a street uh, name blade is about $120, plus the time for someone to do that work. But I think, you know, the the, um, the small amount of money um, is worth the recognition that this project gives those street names. And often when you go to a different town, you drive around and you look at street names. And I, well, I do. I often wonder, you know, I wonder how it got that name or why is that significant? Or you, you find a name that's also in another town or city that you've got in your community and you wonder why that name was chosen. And so having a poppy at the end of it, I think, will actually help will help us with our education, recognition of what's happened in the past, and just being super thankful for where we are today. Very good. We've got about two or three minutes left with you, Helen, and I'm sure you would want more time to talk about this. But the last time we spoke to you, I think the Working Party report for Three Waters uh, to, to government was out uh, the day on Wednesday the 9th, I think it was. Uh, what's, what's happened in the past fortnight with Three Waters? Uh, yes, you're right. The government's Working Party put out their recommendations. We had a look at them. Um, basically, they... They were disappointing but not unexpected. They basically tweaked the government's model, which is what the terms of reference for that group allowed them to do. So pretty disappointing, really. Uh, We put out a statement, Communities for Local Democracy, and said that they fell way short of where they needed to be. And it just reconfirmed the stand that we have. We were due to meet with the minister and potentially the prime minister last week. Um, but the minister had to pull out at the last minute. One of her family members went down with COVID. And so we've got a meeting with her on the 4th of April. And uh, so we will be going back to Wellington. Uh, we had 25 mayors from around the country um, jumping on planes and were to join us last last week. And uh, so we'll get that same number of support. Hopefully we can get all 32 councils represented at that meeting with the minister. And we're really saying to the minister, you know, it's now in their hands for them to decide what next. And we're basically saying you haven't listened to the concerns of New Zealanders. And, you know, now we represent with with Auckland also coming out against uh, the Working Party recommendations. It's well over half of the country's population have stood up and said these reforms are not acceptable. And you need to listen to us as it's going to go going to go badly for the government. Very good. Uh, Mayor Helen Warboys, we're completely out of time on the catch-up this morning, but thank you for joining us and updating us on all those matters, and uh, have a great day. You too, Fraser. Look forward to next time.
There we go. Mayor Helen Warboys joining us on the catch-up for your Thursday morning. Uh, join us tomorrow at half past eight. We'll be speaking to Tangi Utikeri, Member of Parliament for Palmerston North, finding out what he's been up to in the past uh, week or so. Uh, on Monday, uh, looking to next week at half past eight, Wendy Carr from Fielding and District Promotions will join us. On Tuesday, it's our Massey slot, and we've got Claire Matthews uh, talking to us. Uh, the annual retirement expenditure guidelines report uh, is something that she has been involved with. She's an expert in retirement, banking, home loans, all that sort of thing. So hopefully we'll get uh, a better picture on some of those things in the current climate. Of course, on Wednesday, Jimmy Ellingham from RNZ will be joining us. On Thursday, hopefully, we'll be speaking to Brent Barrett from Palmerston North City Council. And on Friday, Ian McKelvey, MP for Rangitiki, joining us. Have a great day. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye for now. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.